Apostle Suzanne. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. How you doing today? Praise the Lord. How you doing today? Praise the Lord. How you doing today? The musicians are playing better than y'all praising. Amen. I'm not going to let no keyboard cry out for me. I'm not going to let no drums cry out for me. Come on, I'm not going to let a bass guitar and my clothes cry out for me. Help me out. Guitar. And I'm not going to let no guitar cry out for me. Come on, come on, come on. Thank you, Lord. For the Lord is good, is he not? All right, you can take your seats. Thank you, Lord. I'm glad to see y'all in the land of the living today one more time. Y'all got one more again. One more again. He found us worthy to be woken up one more time. I do want to pick up from last week, and I'll catch up with the men. Maybe I'll just have some time with the men and um, do some, uh, what did we do for Mother's Day? A wise woman builds her house. So we'll pick up with the men on how a wise man builds his house versus the foolish man who tears it all down with his own hands. Amen? So last week we were dealing with what? Ah, one person remembered. Hallelujah. I'm so glad all y'all come to church. Amen. And we talked about the reasons for fear, right? And we talked about the particular fears, right? How many of y'all think you got it? A good picture of it. Yeah, understanding. Who am I talking to today? Is this the church that I've been covering for 14 years? I should be able to finish half sentences and y'all know what I mean. That's what relationship does, doesn't it? Maybe y'all need to go outside and come back in again because y'all looking real off today. What happened? What happened last night? What happened? Come on, just get it out. I give honor to God who was head of my life. If it had not been for the Lord that was on my side. If I had 10,000 tongues, I couldn't praise them enough. Come on, stir up your spirit or something. Because the old mothers would get up and give scripture and give a testimony. I didn't kill Harold last night, though I wanted to. Because the Lord is good. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> All right, some of the scriptures we talked about last week was Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, right? Uh-huh. Present your requests to God, because he cares for you. Matthew 6 and 34. So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. That's a guarantee. Today's trouble is enough for today. 
Matthew 6, 34. And the last one, John 14 and 27. I am leaving you, but I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give you. And all the world's giving, they cannot give you this peace. So don't be troubled or afraid. Amen? So picking up today on part two, I want to go to, to Genesis. We're going to go to the beginning. Right to the beginning. We'll go Genesis 3, and I'll read 10 through 12. If you are online with us, welcome. God bless you. We're glad to have you with us today. For those that are living vessels, earthen vessels in this sanctuary today, God bless you. Good to see y'all with us today as well. Amen? Amen. Absolutely. Anybody glad to be alive? Yeah. I mean, we just came through some crazy stuff. Anybody glad to be alive? I'll be like, man, I can still pay bills. That means I'm still alive because the dead don't have no bills. So I'm not going to look at bills the same way. Thank you, Jesus. That means I'm still alive. I'm still causing debt somewhere. <laughs> but the debt's been paid. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> she said, wow. Genesis 3, 10 through 12. And then he replied to the Lord. This is Adam. I heard you. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. I was afraid because I was guilty. I was afraid because I was shamed. Who told you that you were guilty and naked and ashamed? The Lord asked Adam. Have you eaten from the fruit I commanded you not to eat? Yes, Adam admitted, but it was the woman you gave me who brought me the fruit that I ate. This is the whole result of operating your life through a spirit of fear. Guilt, shame, and blame. After Eve was gaslighted by the serpent, Adam had to stand and give report to the Lord. What happened to our relationship? It's strained now because you were guilty. You felt shamed. You were naked. And then he went on to say, the serpent tricked me, Eve said. The serpent tricked me. That's why I ate. Let's talk about living in fear. Because we're birthing ministries this year, right? Amen. The prophetic camp is going to open up this year, right? Uh -huh. The prophetic camp is going to open up this year, right? The prophetic camp is going to open up this year, right? I only hear one prophet in the house. Shame on y'all. I'm going to work for the Episcopalians. Yeah, I'm going to the Episcopalians. I think they might like what I have. They might be like, oh, she's exciting. Y'all sitting here like, mm, no profit up in here. No profit up in me. When you operate or when you have a spirit of fear, we talked about fear last week, right? Just in general, talked about three different types. We talked about the things that we fear. Who knows all of the things that the basic principles of what we fear? Let me hear. Health, ill health, uh-huh. Old age, criticism, loss of love, and fear of death. Amen. Those are the guiding principles. You know, there's more. There's arachnophobia and all those things. But we're dealing with the principles of fear. 
So when you have a spirit of fear in your life, I'm going to help you begin to detox yourself and to find out where this fear is and how it's operating in your life, how it's showing up. Why do I do the things that I do? When you have a spirit of fear, when you operate with a fear mindset, automatically you have a dysfunctional humanistic identity. Dysfunctional humanistic identity. The doctor's in the house and she's approving me. Amen. A dysfunctional humanistic identity. You forgot who you are. Wasn't that one of the songs I heard this morning? Was that um, Frederica? Uh-huh. I was like, she's right in prophetically, but where we're going today. You don't know who you are when you operate through fear. You have a dysfunctional, humanistic identity. Your who I am is based on performance. I love when I sit with people and I'm able to profile them. And I'm like, mm. Your who I am is based on meeting certain standards. Nobody knows who set them. You just have these standards in your mind. Performance-based, meeting particular standards. Your who I am is based on earning the approval of others. And those others can change from time to time. And then a false deliverance, let me just make a little addendum to the note here. A false deliverance from these things is when you be like, I don't care what people think about me. That's a false deliverance right there. Because you can't go from living a life based on the approval of others to living a life of I don't care what people think about me. You have to care. You're either trying to sell something, serve something, you're trying to do something and you need people in order to do this thing that you need to have happen in your life. You might need their money. Hello, you might need their audience, their following, their fan. You might need their love, their encouragement, their support. But that's a false healing when you can say, I don't care what people think. It's the dysfunction of fear when you care too much about what people think, where you base your life on their approval for how you feel, how you show up. The result of having a humanistic identity is fear, shame, and hiding. Fear, shame, and hiding. Did you hear that in the verses we read today? Right from the beginning. That's why when we begin to discuss our fallen nature versus our rebirthed nature, you can tell how much of your fallen nature is still dominant in your life when you're dealing with fear, shame, and hiding from your purpose. God did not make anything that he doesn't have purpose for. When you hide, it leads to what's known as self-protective mechanisms. And that's what he was doing, wasn't it? We hid. Why did you hide? Because we're trying to protect ourselves from the guilt and the shame that we now feel. I'm hiding because I'm afraid. I'm hiding because I'm ashamed. So the result of this human identity is fear, shame, and hiding from purpose. And it leads to self-protective mechanism. More commonly known to most of us is subconscious defense mechanisms. What is that? It is projecting an image rather than who you truly are. Mm-hmm. It's the church full of them. <laughs> hey. Howdy ho. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. We think being in the church makes us perfect. We think being in the church makes us saved. But I'm here to tell you, I see 
your defense mechanisms. I see your self-protective mechanisms. Oh, Lord, she said on the front row. Let's go to Romans 1 and 25. <laughs> Romans 1 and 25. Instead of believing what they knew was the truth about God, they deliberately chose to believe lies. So they worship the things God made, but not the creator of the things himself, who is to be praised forever. Amen. My Bible has an amen at the end. That means there ain't no discussion. There ain't nothing. We're going to go to court about with this thing. Say la, it is sealed the blood. Amen. Lot to, lot to, to um, make disciples on, but as far as in the house, there has to be perfect agreement. When you operate in what God has caused us, called us to operate in, which is called reverential fear of God, you then have a biblical identity. You can relate to it biblically. It's spiritual, but at least you can relate to it biblically. So let's look at some of the identity formations based on who God says I am. Mm -hmm. The first thing God said is, I designed you. I allowed you to look a little like your mother. I allowed you to look a little like your father, but I designed you, which means you're in my image, you're in my likeness, and you are also the pinnacle of my creation. Every once in a while, a little too often in the summertime, we drive down to the end of our street, and they have what's called a dairy cream. And I try to go and get a soft serve with a little sprinkle on it, the kitty portion. But sometimes, every time I leave that window, I walk away with a strawberry shortcake. And it's got three whole shortcakes and all this vanilla ice cream on it, strawberries on it. And I lean in and say, can you add some walnuts? And they put the walnuts in it. And I say, don't forget the whipped cream on all three pieces of the ice cream. I walk away with this thing and I always say, Maria, it's coming. I'm bringing it to you. We're the pinnacle. We are the whipped cream of everything that we wanted from the dairy bar. When the Bible says that we are made in his image, an image means a representation of the external form of a person or thing of art. A representation of the external form of a person or thing of art. Isn't that beautiful? That's the image. I'm a representation. We are all representations. No matter the color, the size, the gender, none of it matters. We are a representation of the external form of a person or thing of art. I found that to be awesome. Apple did a good job with their plain definition of that. Likeness, the fact or quality of being a resemblance. And even in that, we're not knockoffs. A knockoff is going to have a flaw in its likeness, in its image. Likeness, the fact or quality of being a like resemblance. Amen? Amen? So God designed you. I don't care if they tried to abort you. I don't care if your parents met one night and never, ever spoke again. God designed you. And he didn't just design you. He designed you in his image. He designed you in his likeness. You alone are the pinnacle of his creation. 
The angels get mad at us because they have to serve us. And they ask God, who is man? Why are you so mindful of them? They, they're the only point of your creation that barely follows anything you give them to do. The bees know when to bzzz. The moon know when to come. The sun doesn't fight with the moon to go down. But all of God's human creation are so dysfunctional in their likeness and in their image of God, but we were still designed by God. The fact that God loves you unconditionally is your biblical identity. It's not rooted in fear and shame and hiding. It's rooted in unconditional love. You mean even where you was last night? Yep. Unconditional love. He says that I get to work out my own salvation. And the only requirements he has of that is that I work it out with Woo, fear and tremble. You can't fear for me. And you can't tremble for me. This is my relationship. God is always with you. That's the hard part. Old brother David with his little wicked self. He said, if I made my bed in hell, God would be there with me. God is always with you. You cannot keep this mindset that God leaves you when you sin. The church I came up with told me that when you have sex, whether it's with your husband or through adultery or fornication, God turns his mind, his head around on you. He don't watch. So I was like, well, why would he create something that he's not always watchful for? And what if I was killed in the bed of lust? God ain't watching me. I'm supposed to be his. See, y'all don't have that kind of relationship with him. Me and God talk like that. Even in my sin, if God is able to turn his back on me, in a sinful or a less spiritual event, then that means I can separate and reconnect back to God without being born again. Makes no sense at all. Makes no sense. You're either with me, you're either hot, but in the middle, I don't want you. I'll spew you out. God will always forgive you when you ask. Do you know just these basic principles people struggle with believing? And when you struggle with believing these basic thoughts, these basic principles, your relationship has already been disconnected from God. That's the arrogance that we should have, is that you can't fear or tremble for me, and his love for me is unconditional. Now, does it mean I get to get away with things because I'm his? But God will always forgive you when you ask. And God does not condemn you. That fear and that shame. Did God say that to them? Did he say, I condemn you? Did he tell them, don't eat from that tree because then I'm going to have to separate from you? Do not eat from that tree because then I'm going to have to find you guilty and you will be ashamed to me. Did God say that to them? Absolutely not. When you ask, God will always forgive and not the asking that we knew from the world. It's the reverential fear. God, I let you down. Y'all don't like how I relate with God, but I've told God many times during sin, I really like this. And I'm going to need your help to get out of this. This particular guy, I don't see me throwing him away. This, this little messed up, what y'all call it, entanglement. We used to call it friends with benefits. This generation entanglement. This entanglement might be entangled for a little while because there's something about this one that I can't break from. So I'm going to need you to help me with this. I know it's wrong, but in my strength, 
<laughs> I can't break from this thing. I'm going to need you to help me break from this thing. And just going to God and making the confession to him that I'm in something that my sinful nature enjoys and likes isn't enough for me to leave it alone. I have to call for something super on my natural because my natural likes it way too much. My natural likes it out of my own comfort zone. And to know in that that God does not condemn me. That God has miraculously transformed us into a new creation miraculously it still can't be explained it still cannot be expressed in mere words of man that God has a marvelous plan for your life and that plan opens up to great plans and an awesome destiny we cannot go ahead of God at least if you show up late you'll find an altar was built and you'll see that other worshipers was there and you can go and partake of the altar that was built. But when you get ahead of God, ain't nothing there. God is greater than the pain in your life. You have to believe that. He's greater than the pain in your life. And this isn't stuff that I can give you 12 steps from and run around the room 12 times and then you're delivered. You have to work this out in your life. God is stronger than your adversary. Why do you fear? God is stronger than the pain in your life and God is stronger than your adversary. Why did you hide? Because we were naked. Who told you you were naked? My adversary. God is stronger than your adversary. God can comfort you beyond your knowledge beyond your knowledge anyone have such a comforting experience with God that it was even beyond you did you ever want to mourn something longer than your body was like oh, it's over and, and you know when my mother died I mourned at least eight years and I just thought that's the way it was everybody that I knew who lost a mother just mourned for the rest of their life until the Lord showed up one day and he said to me you know this is no longer mourning he said the enemy is using this against you now and bringing you condemnation and with condemnation comes the guilt of how I should have acted to mama, how I should have treated mama, all the bad things that I did when I disrespected her or didn't respond to her chastisement of me or the wisdom that she tried to relate to me. When you let mourning take on longer than a season that God has ordained for mourning, the enemy gets to come in. And then there's no healing beyond your own understanding. Someone could mention my mother's name in a grocery store eight years later and I would be brought to tears. I couldn't stand it. I could feel it welling up and I'm trying to shut it off and be a big girl. Didn't understand that the enemy was using it against me. We have self-esteem and self-worth, but it is not of our own when it's in God. Because sometimes our own, as most of us know in here, our own self-esteem and self-worth is a filthy rags. No one affirmed us, validated us, told us we were anything more than maybe beautiful. Some people were never even told they were beautiful, never even told that you were smart, what you were going to be. Your name was chosen for this reason. There's purpose even in the name I chose for you. There's purpose even in the school I planned for you. There's purpose in your life. When we don't know those things, we grow up in a life of fear and shame and guilt. Our relationship is because of our identity in him. 
Your relationship with God is solely because of your identity with him. If you don't identify with God, your relationship is in trouble. Think about it in your natural relationships, right? If you can't relate with your mom or your father, your sister, your brother, your spouse, your identity with them is in trouble. Identity is formed exclusively through relationship. We had about maybe 38 or I can't remember the number now, but we had a, a good amount, over 30, that went through a recovery group with me, recovering from an unloving or emotionally absent mother. And we learned of the different attachment styles that children gather from their own brain to understand how to attach or to detach from mother. And this relationship follows us through all of our relationships in our life. Our identity is formed exclusively through relationship. If you don't have a secure attachment style with mother, you're not gonna have a secure attachment styles in your relationships. You may be an anxious avoidant, a dismissive avoidant, because she dismissed you so many times, now you become dismissive of other people. She've avoided you. She never gave you the validation in the effort. So now you avoid certain things in relationship. You become a product of that relationship. So in Christ, our identity is formed through our relationship. So I should be able to look at you and see how you are developing as a Christian through your relationship with Christ. From our cradle in the womb to the grave, the blood, and the resurrection of Christ is how we attach in life. When you have relationship difficulties, it results in fear, doubt, insecurity, anxiety, shame, and defensiveness. If you're a minister in here, I need to see you writing because you're supposed to be able to minister to others. This message isn't for me to take it to the globe. It's for y'all to run with it and take it to others and minister to them. Relationship difficulties, fear, doubt, insecurity, anxiety, shame, defensiveness. How many of us have them? Performed basic identity shows up like this. Can we go there? Fear of failure. Fear of failure. I have a, a young man He's, um, he immigrated here from another country and I've been working with him for over a year and we got to some really good root work last week in our session and found out because one of his questions was to me was so powerful. Have you ever asked yourself this kind of question? Why do I keep doing the same thing? His question went a little bit deeper. He said, why do I stay in this relationship? And I looked at him, I said, well, let's do some CBT work. Let's find out those feelings, find out your automatic thoughts, find out your core beliefs, because in the core of your belief, what you grew up in, securely, anxiously, dismissively, however you grew up, this is gonna result in the core of who you are. And it's gonna predicate how you think, it's going to predicate how you feel. It's going to predicate relationships you choose to be in, you keep returning to, and why you stay in the ones you stay in. And when we got down to the root of it, his basis is he has a fear of failure. So he stays in toxic relationships or relationships that shouldn't last as long as they last because of a fear of failure. That's deep. Does that hit anyone this morning? 
It's all about doing and not being when you have a fear of failure. It's all about doing and not being. This fear of failure for a religious person, a Christian person, someone of some kind of faith is fed by your legalistic theology. Your, the your theology is so legalistic, Jesus himself can't walk it. A legalistic theology. A legalistic society or legalistic relationship. It's just so many I's got to be dotted. T's got to be crossed. Can't nobody make it down this yellow brick road. It's all about doing and not being. Oftentimes led by legalistic worldviews. What does legalistic worldviews end up putting me in the mindset of? That everybody should be punished when they do wrong. And if everyone should be punished when they do wrong, what do you think happens to this type of person when they do wrong? They begin to condemn. Shame comes in. Guilt comes in. Fear comes in. So what are some emotional indicators? How can I tell if I have a spirit of the fear of failure? How can I tell if I suffer with the fear of failure? How do I show up? How does this person with this fear show up? The first way they show up is with shame. Shame is worse than guilt. Can I explain that? Because guilt is based on what I did. That was Adam and Eve. But shame is based on who I am. My personhood is skewed. I'm jacked up. I'm a wretch undone. I wake up every morning and say the prayer of salvation because I need to be resaved every day. I need to be born again every single day. When you have a fear of failure, you live in shame. You believe that you are flawed. You have feelings of inferiority, inadequacy, and it's debilitating to you every single day. You live in anxiety. What is that? Stress, fear, and worry. If you can begin to deal with the stress, fear, and the worry, you can get rid of anxiety without taking pills. Guilt. You live in guilt when you have a fear of failure because it's always based on what I did. Anger and resentment. So when someone shows up to you, you're ministering to someone, you're in a conversation with them, maybe you've, you've um, prayed the, the prayer of salvation with them and you're working in a conversation with them, you're talking to them weekly or monthly or you have time that you set up and you just see this anger and this resentment on them and you start noticing the shame and the anxiety there's some fear behind it shame and anxiety is always rooted from fear what is the fear? did someone come in their room and touch them? so they constantly have this fear that someone's coming in to touch them this is real stuff and unfortunately, in Christendom, because we never liked psychology, we never, we never married the psychological and the spiritual together. So we always look for this, it's gone, it's gone. Watch this, watch this. You don't remember him? <laughs> Fear of failure has perfectionism with it. Preoccupied with never making a mistake. If I'm not perfect, it means I'm a failure. Risk avoidance. Risk avoidance. Afraid to take a risk. Afraid to, to, to make a decision. How does that show up? Lack of follow through. 
And it also shows up in your alienated relationships. That's so deep. You probably can't get it all today, but watch the replay and stop it and take notes or reflect on yourself and think about this or think about someone that you're ministering to so that you can't just see everybody as angry people. There's a reason for the anger. There's an anger for, there's a reason for the resentment. And guess what else? If there's procrastination, then there has to be pro, um, perfectionism, then there has to be procrastination. And when these people or we ourselves show up in church, who ministers to us with this? Oh, you're saved now. It's all dead. It should be, you're born again. But I was born again with this stuff. Who tells us that after your salvation, you need some counseling? You may need one to three years of counseling because we have to, we have to still counsel the human side to you. Procrastination. Let me give you the scripture. 2 Corinthians 9 and 15. Y'all hear the paper? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. This one is just a good one for you. Thank God for his son. A gift too wonderful for words. Yeah, I'm not going to go up there right now. I'm going to keep moving. Fear of rejection. Who am I talking to in here? You're not alone. Fear of rejection. The false belief that I must have the approval of significant others to feel good about myself. This is our fallen nature. This has nothing to do with us being born again in Christ. And this isn't to put down your salvation experience. But remember, salvation is something that we're working out until the day of his return. Why be saved on your way to heaven living a life of fear of rejection? The false belief that I must have the approval of significant others to feel good about myself. What are some of my emotional indicators? How do I show up? Again, shame. People-pleasing. Codependency. Let me tell you why I can't stand codependency. No, honestly, because I love people. And when I see what it does to people, it's a skewed, false identity. And there's no way. We're supposed to be interdependent with God. We're not supposed to be codependent in a fearful way with anybody. Your relationship with your spouse should not be in fear of this rejection because that's what it is people are like oh my god their marriage is so cute oh my god they're such and i'm looking like that is so much codependency right there and everybody's like oh my god that's so beautiful oh my god what's the word we use now power couple yeah okay <laughs> wait till the storm come and test the power of that couple it's real y'all i was a codependent it took me years to do work to get from this thing. This thing is entangled in you, especially if you got it from childhood. This thing is real. It's not to put anybody down. It's that I hate the spirit. That's why I don't like sickness. And it's not that I don't like visiting the sick. I hate that spirit. I can't tolerate sickness because I can't tolerate that spirit in my presence. It's the false belief. I'm sorry, I moved down too far. It's the belief that we must have the approval of significant others. How does it show up? Again, shame, people-pleasing, codependency. What is codependency? It's a belief. It's a core belief that in fixing them, 
they'll fix me or at least make me feel better. So you could be in a relationship with someone who has a heavy addiction of any kind and what has you bound to them is your fear of rejection that has blossomed from it the fruit of codependency because you believe if you fix them, you'll feel better. Their addiction or their issues makes them always need you. God help us today. If I had this when I was about 14 years old, I could probably erase half or 90% of the people I dated. Codependent people are seething with rage. Seething, it's in there. If they get well, if the person that they're codependent with, if that person gets well, they believe that they'll be out of the relationship. So they begin to subconsciously enable that per person or that partner's addictions. I can't have you get free because you won't need me anymore. I got to keep you bound. I hate the fact that you do drugs, but I'm going to buy you some alcohol. It's real stuff, y'all. And it's subconscious. It will control us and you won't even know it. One of the papers we had to write was about a woman who complained about her husband all the time to her girlfriends because he was an alcoholic. And she complained and complained and complained and complained. Finally, at the end of the, the, the report, they said, but every Tuesday she would go and buy him alcohol. Because God forbid if this man ever became something good, he won't need, need me anymore because my relationship with him is rooted in the fear of him rejecting me. So don't get too well. Get cleaned up enough so I can brag about you and look good about what I've done in your life. But don't get too cleaned up. I need you sick. I need you looking like you finna die because that shows me how much I, you need me. And I remind you often that you wouldn't be alive today if it wasn't for me. And they also may end up dead because of you. Codependency will cause you to quit before you're fired. To leave before you're promoted. To terminate before you're accepted. It's a false sense of withdrawal and isolation. Anybody know about that one? I used to do that too. I lived under a five-year curse and didn't even know it. Every five years I had to change partners. do see do we was out of it. What did I do wrong? Nothing. Five years. One of the papers we had to write on was about a pastor and his wife and his son every four years would just act up. Something horrible would happen in his life. And after much therapy, extensive therapy, they found out in the fourth grade he was molested by a group of boys on his way home. So every time the number four came up in his life, he would self-sabotage, get into addictions, disappear into bondage. He would get into the worst, he would be in jail. They knew every time a four showed up in his life, he would subconsciously sabotage because four, four brought him such a terror of fear. Think about it, y'all. This stuff is real in our life and we have no control over it. It's psychological, we have no control, especially when you don't know. Fear of condemnation. We're almost there, y'all did good today. Fear of condemnation. It's the false belief that those who fail are unworthy unworthy of love and deserve punishment. I'm working this fear with y'all 
because I'm ready for y'all to grow. I'm ready for y'all to begin to be who God has called you to be. And these fears and these insecurities are so easily besetting you that you get right close to the finish line. I was watching the races that were happening all over the states right now. Everybody's in some kind of 5K, 1K, 2K. Nobody got close to the finish line and said, I'm afraid to win. They saw that yellow tape and they're like, I'm about to bust this yellow tape down. They didn't have any fear of what's gonna happen when I cross the line. I made a 1K race, so I gotta enter a 5K after this. Oh my God, I'm afraid, I'm gonna just wait here. I'm gonna let everybody else run ahead of me, then I'm gonna run behind them because this is how people do it who are not sure of themselves. When you have a relationship with Christ, it cannot be based in anything that I have named thus far. Your fear has to be of disappointing God, having a disapproving God, not seeing the purpose and all that he has planned and destined for your life. These fears have got to go and I can preach it but you gotta apply it and you gotta get it out of your life it's the false belief that those who fail are unworthy of love and deserve punishment how do I show up in life if I deal with this self deprecating talk always talking down always talking down on yourself it's like cutters. You're just cutting yourself, but no one can see the cuts. Every time you say something about yourself, you're talking against the image and likeness that God has created you in. How dare you put your mouth on his creation? Flawed or not, you are his creation. And he doesn't make mistakes. Anybody found a mistake yet in God? He doesn't make mistakes. Jacked up or not, I'm his. A whore or not, I'm his. An addict or not, I'm his. But I'll tell you what I am doing. I'm working out my soul salvation with fear and trembling as unto the Lord. Not unto man, not unto my denomination, not unto doctrine, not unto my leadership, not unto my spouse. I'm working this out as unto the Lord. That's why David could dance out his clothes. This praise is for the Lord. I got free of man's people pleasing. I got free of codependency. I got free of all this condemnation. I got free from the fear of rejection. Self-deprecating talk. Talking out of the image of God. Fear of condemnation. Blame. Don't we see it all in Genesis 3? Blame. It's the blame game. Because you bought into a core belief that failure deserves punishment. You probably were told it as a child, and you probably heard it over and over again as a child, and then you grew up believing that all behavior, especially poor behavior, deserves punishment. No reward system. No, if you're good, you get this. If you're bad, you, even God gave us that, right? But you have parents that only mention the rewarding, even though they may do, you got a good report card, we'll go for ice cream. You did great this year in school, we're gonna take a family trip. They don't tell you that, they just do it. But they tell you when you've done poorly and they're punishing for you, you for that. That brings in self-deprecating talk. That brings in the blame game. Even in your relationships today, somebody's got to be blamed. And it hurts you too much to ever admit you're wrong because your core belief is if I'm wrong, then I'm blamed. If I'm blamed, I deserve punishment and I can't live with that. So I'm gonna blame you. You're the problem, woman. You brought me that fruit. If you didn't bring me that fruit, I wouldn't have ate it. The blame game comes in. 
where if we were going to go straight scripture and spiritual, we'd have to be honest. Eve wasn't even there when Adam gave, when God gave Adam the instructions and the directions. She was silent. God spoke to him. And what did he do right away? Because of his fallen nature, it was them. It was her. It was my parents. It was my spouse. It's always somebody else when it's the blame game. Fear of condemnation. When you come in and be like, man, I messed up so big today. You know how long it took me to laugh at myself? I took myself so seriously. There was no room for anybody else in the room but me. Everything. Even one time I remember my pastor wife was preaching and she said to me, Miss Deep, Miss Introspective. And I'm like, introspective? I had to go look it up. I don't even know what that means. What's she saying to me? Because everything with me had to go into a deep place. Couldn't process anything. Couldn't laugh at myself. Now I'd be like, girl, you know that was dumb. You are crazy. Even if I say something wrong on the phone to a client, my, my, my mind is running so fast, my mouth can't keep up with my thoughts. My thoughts go, 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 really, really fast. So my mouth tries to keep up and I get tongue-tied. So I'm trying to see what God is showing me and hear what God is saying to me. And I'll say something like, wait a minute, let me backtrack. Now let me go back a little bit more because I probably confused you really with this. Let me clarify. Before, I would never admit I made a mistake and we all gonna roll over it. <laughs> Come and tell me I made a mistake because you heard wrong. Because for me to have made a mistake means I'm at blame. I'm at fault for something. And that goes too deeply back to my childhood. And I just can't relive that again. That hurt me too much. It skewed my image. It skewed my identity. It makes me feel worthless. So I'd rather blame you than blame me. Because you don't feel what I have to feel when I'm at fault for something. With the blame game comes bitterness and unforgiveness. Bitterness and unforgiveness. And this lives in Jesus confessing Christians. It lives in us. That's why you should give people a place in your family or your friends or ministers, people that you're talking to. Give them a place to just share some of their faults and tell them, is this a, a time now when you want to hear mine, or are you just good with revealing yours? Because sometimes people be like, Pastor, you do what? I was like, y'all think I can do all the, I can do a lot under the anointing. In my daily routine, I go back to Walgreens three times to get my telephone. Six times to go back to Walmart because I lost my keys. The anointing makes me look when I'm not preaching or teaching or he hasn't divinely opened up a portal for me to minister or to move and I'm dealing with just my humanity, I'm a whole mess. I am quickly reminded, man, that anointing is some powerful stuff, boy, because I can't spell, I can't think, I can't write, I can't remember my phone, and I got to remember his phone, I can't even remember my phone. <laughs> anointing of God. Somebody need to preach on that. When you have a fear of condemnation, it's hard for you to forgive. Please understand that there is no forgiveness if there is no healing. Oh, I forgave. That was a long time ago. Have you been healed? Yeah, I think so. How do you know if you've been healed? Because it was a long time ago. It don't work that way. Your brain and the way God made you so powerfully and wonderfully made, it operates with a lot more than you giving it credit for. If you have not gone through a process of healing, there is no forgiveness. You just put it away in a file cabinet that's really, really deep in the back. Bitterness and unforgiveness will also keep you more controlled. 
People who choose to stay in bitterness or unforgiveness doesn't do it on purpose. They do it because it's more controlled. Understand that God doesn't condemn his children. Are we all children of God? Let's go to John. Let's go to good old John. Let me just give you this little Sunday school lesson. And I want you to make your way down the first chapter. And I want you to read to Let's say, let's start at verse 10, John 1 and 10. And we'll go to 13. Anybody feel like reading or y'all want me to do it? All right. <laughs> John 1, 10 through 13, let's go. John 1, I want to start at verse 10. But although the world was made through him, what happened there? Uh-huh. The world didn't recognize him when he came. Even his own land and among his own people, he was not what? Accepted, recognized. But to all who believed him and what? accepted him he gave the right to become children of God they are reborn this is not a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan this rebirth comes from God is everyone children of God that's right <laughs> oh that's you back there I know by the laugh what happens when you live in these fears in my ending one of the things you know for sure is that it makes you hide. It makes you hide from your spouse. It makes you hide from your parents. It makes you hide from your leader. It makes you hide things from your leader. You hide things from your spouse. You hide things probably even from yourself. That's why you have these false defense mechanisms because your own self cannot be truthful with what you did, what you said, or how you are. This isn't today's message, but after that point, if you don't begin to get some help and some therapy on those issues, then you're going to begin to self-medicate. And our governor is allowing y'all to get high July 1st. Now, let me ask you this so I can show you how much money I'm going to lose by not investing in this medical... No, it's recreational marijuana use. How many of you 
found yourself in one of these fears, at least one. That's the whole room. So people who are not getting truth, given some knowledge, maybe seeking some coaching or counseling to get therapy, to get another way out is what you get with coaching. You get extensive therapy with your therapist. What do you think you're going to use? A whole bunch of different things, right? So if I was just a businesswoman, I would be talking to the business-minded individuals in here, and I would be turning this into a really beautiful coffee and recreational cannabis facility. Can we get real up in here? Because the enemy knows and do not think that the lawmakers are not aware that there is a problem in the processing of humanity. You know how many people died, was murdered, put in jail for life for alcohol? And then they find out, hmm, we can make a lot of money for this. We're going to legalize it. Years later, and if you listen to our state more than any other state, they realize that the black community has a monopoly on the marijuana. So what did they do? Did y'all follow any of this? They said they're going to do a couple of things. They're going to give support to the black community to help them open up cannabis stations because they know that they're tapping into the welfare of the black community. Now, I know when I was in California, we was high all day long, and it wasn't by choice. Every shop, every ice cream place. Remember we laughed? After a while, the next day, I think it was, Elder Joy and I realized that we wanted this big old waffle ice cream that I'd never had in my entire life. It was a big old waffle cone. It was like this big. And they stuffed it with ice cream. And me and Joy was like, I feel like a waffle ice cream. She said, you ever had one? I said, never. She said, me either. We wasn't thinking. You was with us. And then the next day, I said, Joy, I think we was high. Because people smoking it walking down the street. No lie, the ear. Where we were. What was the name of that strip? That popular strip. Hollywood Boulevard, full of it. Where when you pull up, you can't see anything but smoke over it. If you broke, just take a drive. The high is on Hollywood Boulevard. You ain't gonna pay nothing. Now, mind you, for people who have ADD, ADHD, it, in some scientific way, because I gotta be careful how I word it, it helps slow their mind down so they can think and process and they become creatives. It's not the only way, but that is one of the ways why people will use marijuana when they have ADD and ADHD. There's so many other diagnoses and stuff, I'm not dealing with that, I'm just making a point. But for the rest of us, it don't work for me. I don't wanna smell it and breathe it everywhere I go. Now I know there's a strong community that's for it, but we have to put beyond our sinful nature of, of the enjoyment we got out of it and think about the opportunity your kids are going to have to it now because to your children this was never wrong they're growing up in this being legal our country legalized it so it's okay 
You know how many people die from car accidents, from alcoholism versus shootings by police? Check it out. The only reason they're legalizing it is because of they're not concerned about anybody else. And y'all better be watchful for this because those who still enjoy that recreation, you got children coming up. And it doesn't affect everybody the same way. So when you live in this fear, let me close out by one. When you live in these fears, there's always this punishment mindset. And in the punishment mindset, you're always atoning. Always atoning. Always atoning. But when God comes to bring about correction in your life, it's to build character. It's not even about punishment. When you live in these fears, the punishment ending result is your identity is skewed. Whereas if God begins to deal with you like Adam and Eve was the example that I gave, just to make sure you're not lost, your identity becomes loved. You feel a part of something. Please do not mix discipline or chastisement with abuse. We're not talking about abuse. The punishment when you live this life in any of those fears, your motivation is always anger. It's always anger. But when you deal with God's way of living in fear to please him, the motivation is always love. Doesn't that sound so much easier to live that way? Oh, I'm sorry. I had this one last one, but it's short. We'll still be done. Fear of not being understood or accepted. Fear of not being understood or accepted. Do you know how many times a day I have to hear that? Can't even imagine, right? Won't want to walk in my shoes. I hear people use it like it's complimenting them. Well, you know, I have to understand who I am in God because of my mantle. It's not understood or accepted. Nobody understands you or accepts you? Whoa, and you ministering to who? Who's showing up? Fear of not being accepted or understood is the false belief that no one understands me or accepts me. We even begin to stop calling ourselves the black sheep of the family. Oh, I'm the black sheep of the family. Why are you saying that? Why don't you work out your emotions? I'm sure you can become a different color of the sheep of the family. I'm sure you're the black sheep, if that be the right term, is because the way you show up emotionally. So people just call you crazy because you're unstable. What happens when you have this fear of not being understood or accepted? You insulate and you live in loneliness. And you're so religious, you, you, it's the call of God on my life. No, you need to get your stuff worked out. You show up very rude. You show up um, very high opinionated of yourself. You own the corner market of Jesus Christ. So you've placed this wedge and insulation around you that has now caused you to be lonely. You are living behind what you created. When you feel you're always misunderstood or not accepted, you are hopeless. And let me tell you about the trick of hopelessness. That's where suicide will move in on you. You can go through a lot of stuff, right, Doc? You can go through a lot of stuff in your life. 
And people be like, you had, are you suicidal? No. And I'm sitting there saying, woo, I'd be suicidal if I went through that. Jesus. But everyone that I've listened to that is not suicidal still sees hope. When the enemy closes that door and hope is gone or looks very, very dark, that's when suicide comes in. Hope is important. That's why Christ begins to tell us hope deferred makes the heart sick because you're losing hope. But you have to believe that it's just deferred. So don't have a heartache that leads heart pain or a broken heart that leads to suicide. Get your heart mended. What's the other thing? You isolate and withdraw from others regarding insulate. This one's isolate and withdraw from others. And then this is one of the worst, I think, to have to even be around. They begin to be a person of self-pity and victim mentality. Right. We're all like, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> and, and, and this is the trick. Because if you know someone or if it's you yourself that had a very traumatic life, you feel like you have a right. And that's the lie from the enemy. There's help, people of God. And yes, from Christ first. But God has put people in the earth that are trained, that are prepared to help you. Because all it is is processing how you think and feel. That is the beginning. So what's your solution? Let me give it to you and we're done. One, truth sets us free. Bring them truth. Don't agree with their life. Don't believe and agree with their mindset because you don't want to lose them. So you're watering down the gospel or you're showing up in half truth. Do not do that. Truth sets them free. You will be surprised how people receive scripture even when it's coming against their life. As a matter of fact, I got an email from a woman yesterday and sometimes when I get these these EMs that are this long, them DMs or emails that's this long, I looked, I said, oh Lord. And um, this person said, I met with you a couple years ago on the phone. I was using a try it free and you told me and I just stopped right there because I felt fear of rejection. Because I'm like, I probably jacked her up and don't even remember what I said and didn't even mean to jack her up. It's just I have the, a strong personality until I find out a better way to work with it. Right? So what she began to tell me was, I forget what she said I told her, but she said, today, three years later, I can receive it and I want to start my work. She said, but when you told me that day, it hurt me. The truth came, but it took three years before it set her free. It's not my job. I planted. Life came and watered. And God brought her right back to a people helper so that she could get the increase on her life. Stop being afraid of offending them. Give them the scripture in love and let it rest. The other solution is you have a broken connection and relationship with God. And you can admit that. If we are operating in these fears, people of God, this is not fear of God. This isn't reverential fear. It's, a, it's the sign of a broken, disconnected relationship with God without being backslidden. Do you know there's a difference? I want you to just take a minute, and I just want you to do some self-reflection. And just think, if any of this applied to you in any great way, if you felt it, if you had a, a physical effect from these words being spoken or this truth being revealed to you today, could you have a broken or disconnected relationship with God? And remember, if you have a fear of condemnation, you're going to tell yourself, nope, 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 because then it means blame. So what is the solution if that is me? Get reconciled back to God. 
You have to accept his love. Fear covers love. Right? For I did not give you spirit of fear. What's the power he gave? Mm-hmm. The power comes from having a sound mind and accepting the unadulterated love of God will reconcile you back to God, will take you from that broken, disconnected place to a true relationship with God. Not a perfect one, but a reconciled one that I'm working out with fear and trembling every single day of my life. So I have to accept his death. I have to accept his blood. I have to accept his burial, but I have to accept his resurrection. We'll close on the scripture right here. Let's go to Isaiah 53. Come on, y'all. I need y'all to stand up in who God has made you. I need you to stand up in who he's called you to be. Anytime you look in the scriptures in the Bible, you see someone sitting at the gate or sitting in a position. You know what that means? They're not on job. They're not on a job. They're not on guard. I need you to do more than stand up in this building. I need you to stand up and who I called you to be. That's what God is saying. Your posture in here, yes, it should represent what you believe in, who you are in ministry. But for some of y'all, it's easy to stand up at the command of your leader than to stand up in who he's called you to be. You've got to go and you've got to attack these fears with everything that's in you. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Yet it was our weakness he carried it was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. But he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we are healed. All of us have strayed away like sheep. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the guilt and sins of us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, if you're blessed today, come on, give him praise. Give him praise. Give him praise. Come on. Come on, there's people in the building that can help you work out this fear. Don't let it hinder you. Don't live in condemnation. Don't live in rejection. The, the fruits that we mentioned, you can keep that relationship and not be codependent to them. You don't have to hide from people. You don't have to hide from yourself. You don't have to hide from those that God put in your life to bring you to that place that he's called you to be. If you are in this building and you feel the need to come to the altar, I'm going to give you that opportunity to come now. We're going to close out the service around you and ministers are going to come and minister to you. If you would, we usually don't ask, but today I'm going to ask. If you are coming to the altar, you can come up a little closer, sweetie. Thank you. If you're coming to the altar and there's a specific fear you want prayed for, you can share it. You may get someone who's prophetic and they may not already know it. But why come all the way up here and try to be deep instead of coming to get what you need? Let them minister to you. Let you hear and your mind hear the promises of God that you don't have to live this way. This was not God's plan. Come on, Joel, move over. This here. It's God's plan. Amen? Who's going to minister to them so we can close out the service? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Some of y'all leaders need to be up here. Thank you, Jesus. It's all right. I'll get y'all in my office. Thank you, Lord. We got one more. We got one more. 
Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You, yeah, there you go. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for this ministry that is taking place at the altar. We thank you, Father, that we are believing that you are going to make all things new. You are the, the miracle worker. You are the healer. You are the deliverer. The Holy Spirit is the chief counselor. We invite the Holy Spirit in to each of these petitions that are being made before you today. Pray, Father, that if the need is deep, that they won't just leave this at the altar, God. They will get into a relationship with a pastor or a, minister or a therapist who can minister to them and bring them out of this fear. No matter which fear it is, it's all fear and it's rooted in a humanistic identity. We thank you, Father, for the blood. We thank you for the death. We thank you for the burial. We thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And to know that those who believe him and accepted him are his children and called his own. We thank you right now that the Holy Spirit is even ministering to the ministers. To give them exactly what is the person that they're praying for. That this not just be an altar call where we just get a chance to stand up front and take someone's life in our hand and, and hope to never see them again. That this becomes, Father, a ministry of reconciliation, brokenness, and disconnect back to you. We thank you for all things great. We thank you for all things new that you are doing with us today. We receive it whether we're in the pews. We receive it whether we're on the altar. We receive it whether we're on this platform. We receive it whether we're playing an instrument. We receive it no matter what our title is, no matter what our mantle is. We receive the reconciliation of relationship with Christ. We receive your love that we did not deserve and sometimes can't even understand. We thank you, Father, for the ministry that is going forth in your people now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're at the altar, you can stay there. They're going to minister to you. If someone would get in the center aisle, if you'd like to sow a seed into this word, you can bring a seed to the middle aisle. Someone will be there with the bucket. For the rest of you, I pray that you go in peace and that God's blood be upon you to atone for you and his anointing be on you to break every yoke that is upon your life. Call the ministry, 860 296-2323. You can call our coaching line at 860-222-9884. Reach out to the apostleshouse.net or reach out to suzannemhoward.com. There is help for you. You do not have to leave this situation where it is in your life and expect a miracle and don't know how to walk through with the steps that take to keep the miracle in your life. We bless you now. In this name, you are dismissed. Amen.